has to happen. Yeah, we're all uh, the victims of one form or another of mental manipulation, I think, with advertising and uh, the media, whether they know what they're doing or not. And basically, um, when I started learning about the language of the unconscious, I get very upset with myself, catching myself asleep at different times, being totally unconscious and open to, to uh, suggestion and, and manipulation. Uh, there, uh, this research, the government research that we talk about, which also includes uh, various aspects of the UFO question, which is why I'm here tonight, mm -hmm. uh, is a very interesting thing that spanned 50 years. And they have come up with a Rosetta Stone for the unconscious. For the, they've, they've deciphered the language of the unconscious. You say they. They. You know, they, yeah. gets a lot, they get a yeah. lot of credit. Yeah, yeah. they sure do. Yeah. Well, I use the term cryptocracy because in order to say who was involved in it, it's all of those agencies that hide behind the National Security Act of 1947. It's the National Security Agency, the National Programs Office, the National Reconnaissance Office, the Central Intelligence Agency, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and there are 10 or 12 others. And they have passed around this information. When the Pike and Church Committee in the 70s began to investigate, Turner and uh, Bush, uh, and or Bush, one or the other, uh, swept this thing off uh, over to the Office of Naval Research and put it under some obscure, you know, title so they couldn't find it. Right now, this week, in March uh, 15th, which I don't think you found covered by your press anywhere, uh, there was a, a President's Committee Commission on Radiation met, and for 50, 30, about 30 minutes, there were three, there were two victims of the MKUltra research and their therapist talked to the scientist. I talked to the therapist beforehand and shared her uh, shared the information that I had with her, and then I talked to her afterwards, and she said she went to Washington feeling that she was going to have to convince these people that this was real. Well, uh, the president appointed this uh, co commission of scientists, and she found out that immediately they knew what she was talking about. As a matter of fact, one of them hit the ceiling. She, she went up there and said she'd been listening to all the radiation victims talking, and she said, I knew what they were talking about, but they didn't know what, they, what it meant because it was all about mind control. It was all about the use of radiation, both ionizing and non-ionizing, in mind control experiments. The same doctor, Martin T. Orn of the University of Pennsylvania, Sidney Gottlieb, and L. Wilson Green, among three or four others, uh, were the doctors she named, she and these, uh, these survivors named. Uh, when, when she said, I know what you're talking about, it's about mind control and radiation, one of the science hit the, hit the ceiling and said, not now, we're not supposed to talk about this now. They knew all about this. And their questions were very succinct to the point and what they wanted from her, and the, especially the lady that was the survivor, her, her star patient, was uh, information that would lead them to the, the, the documents they're missing, the secret files. But how long does it take? I mean, can, this, has to, this has to happen over, it doesn't happen overnight. I hope it happens no. over a period of time. Well, there's a thing that, uh, there's a guy in Alamo Voto in New Mexico that you can call up and order uh, him to build. He's a former weapons engineer. It's in the book. Uh, he will build you a weapon to take care of your mother-in-law. We'll, we'll, if you modulate it, you can just put voices in your mother-in-law's head, you know, and have her think somebody's talking to her. Drive her totally nuts. Or if you turn it up, it'll boil her brain in the brain pan. And this, you know, a convicted felon, there's no laws on this. 
so-called invisible or non-lethal or soft-kill weaponry. You know, Deep probe. Jose Delgado stood sweating in the center of a bull ring in Madrid. He was sweating from the heat of the sun reflected on the sand. He felt a twinge of natural fear as the door at the end end. Walled rung swung open and a huge black bull lunged forth from the darkness into a plaza del Toro. This was a very good bull, one of the best Matador would have desired. It charged as if on rails, straight out at Gildo. In front of a ton of black beef, two sharp horns aimed to gore the vital parts of his body. Delgado stood face to face with the charging Andalusian Toro, but Delgado was no matador. He stood in the ring alone in his shirt sleeves. He wore no suit of lights and he carried no cape. Instead of a sword, he held only a black box. He wanted to wait until the last possible moment, but he could not contain his fear. When the bull was 30 feet away, he pressed the button on the box. The bull immediately quit his attack and skidded to the halt. Toro looked right, then left. Then, as if bewildered, he turned his broadside toward Delgado and trotted away. From the stands, it was difficult to see the metal box between the horns which held the small radio receiver which picked up Delgado's signal and transmitted it an electronic impulse through a probe inserted into the center of the bull's brain. Delgado was not living out of the boyhood fantasy of being a matador, nor was he demonstrating his bravery. He was demonstrating his faith as a scientist in the power of electronic brain stimulation. Jose Delgado was a neurophysiologist at Yale University School of Medicine. By 1964, when he made his dramatic demonstration with the bull, he had only been experimenting with electronic stimulation of the brain for nearly two decades. His work, supported by the Office of Naval Research, had been inspired by the Spanish histologist Santiago Ramon Cayal, who said that knowledge of the physio biochemical basis of memory, feelings, and reason would make man the true master of creation. Cajal suggested that man's most transcendental accomplishment would be the conquest of his own brain, and upon his premise, Jose Delgado began his relentless quest to make his mentor's dream come true. From ancient times, Delgado said, Man has tried to control the destiny of other human beings by depriving them of liberty and submitting them to obedience. Slaves have been forced to work and to serve the caprices of their masters. Prisoners have been chained to row in the galleys. Men are still inducted into the armed forces and sent thousands of miles away to create havoc, take lives, and lose their own. Biological assault has also existed throughout recorded history. In ancient China, the feet of female children were bound to reduce their size. In many countries, thieves have been punished by having their hands cut off. Males have been castrated to inhibit sexual desire and then placed as eunuchs in large charge of harems. And in some African tribes, it was customary to ablate the clitoris of married females to block their possible interest in other men and ensure their fidelity. 
The Spanish-born Delgado believed that, thanks to electronic brain stimulation, science was at least on the verge of a process of mental liberation and self-domination, which is the contagion continuation of revolution. He believed that through the direct manipulation of the brain, society could produce more intelligent education, starting from the moment of birth and continuing throughout life, with the preconceived plan of escaping from the blind force of chance. Delgado believed that the direct influence of the cerebral mechanisms and mental structure it would someday be possible to create a future man, a member of psycho-civilized society. He said that the needed research could not be generated by scientists themselves, but must be promoted and organized by governmental action, declaring conquering of the human mind, a national goal at party with conquering of poverty or landing a man on the moon. Delgado insisted the brain research was much less expensive than going to outer space and would produce benefits to society equal to, if not greater than, those produced by space technology. By the time Delgado's remarks were published, the cryptocracy had already come a long way into developing the techniques to create the psycho-civilized society. Delgado dreamed of, Delgado himself had been funded by Gramps from the cryptocracy, but like other researchers, was kept isolated and compartmentalized. He had no way of knowing about the other government direct brain control research that was going on simultaneously with his own. A number of government agencies were actually at work on projects similar to Delgado's. Through these projects, the cryptocracy had gained the technology for direct access to the control of the brain, and through it, the mind. In 1949, Dr. Irving Janus of the Rand Corporation had recommended the Air Force undertake a study of the effects of electricity on the brain. His report said that in research based on the literature of the 1940s, there were at least some indications that electronic shock to the brain might be conducive to mind control. Janus wrote, Many studies have shown there is a temporary intellectual impairment, diffuse amnesia, and general weakening of the ego produced during the period when a series of electroshock convulsions is being administered. Dr. Janus was not talking about electronic brain stimulation. He was referring to electroconvulsive therapy, a crude treatment for schizophrenia originated in Hungary in the 1930s, which consisted of passing a strong electrical current through the entire brain at once. Unlike ESB, ECT was not aimed at the microscopical neural centers of the brain. It was just one large jolt of electricity, which produced rather than a specific neural produced event, a massive convulsion. Electrical current administered in such a way temporarily affected the electrical properties of all the neurons in the brain. It produced sharp biochemical changes in the levels of glucose, oxygen consumption, protein synthesis, and other functions. It also produced amnesia, sometimes temporary, sometimes permanent. As biochemist Stephen Rosen said, the ECT treatment is analogous to attempting to mend a faulty radio by kicking it, or a broken computer by cutting out a few of its circuits. Often the extreme convulsions induced by ECT produce such strong muscular contractions that the bones of the subject body snap like breadsticks. But Dr. Janus did not seem to think it too severe treatment for the use in mind control. From my own and others' investigations of the psychological effects of such treatments, he wrote, I would suspect that they might not tend to reduce resistance to hypnotic suggestions. It is conceivable, therefore, 
that the electroshock treatment might be used to weaken difficult cases in order to produce a hypnotic trance of great depth. Meanwhile, astonishing discoveries were being made which indicated the use of electronic stimulation of the pleasure center of the brain as a reward for performance that could be used to enhance learning. Experiments conducted at the end of World War II showed that rats learned to run around mazes and perform in Skinner boxes better after they had received properly applied electronic stimulation of their own brains. Repeated experiments showed that when the animals were rewarded with electricity applied to the pleasure center of the brain, they learned much more rapidly than did animals that were conditioned by rewards of food. One Department of Defense project graphically illustrated the use of such pleasure stimulation conditioning. The Sandia Corporation in New Mexico was asked by the Department of Defense to set up a demonstration of ESB and film the results. Sandia produced a striking film which shows electrodes being implanted into the brain of an army mule. After the mule recovered from surgery, a brain stimulator was placed in a pack on its back along with a prism and a mirror which were arranged so that they operated a photosynthesis when the animal was facing directly toward the sun. When sunlight struck the photocell, it turned on a brief burst of electricity which was sent along the wires into the pleasure center of the mule's brain. When the mule turned away from the sun, the stimulation stopped. But when the mule faced the sun again, the pleasurable stimulation resumed. So wired, the mule marched over hills and dove across the barren land of New Mexico, always facing the sun. Finally, it came to the boundary of the property where a scientist was waiting. The mirror was reversed and then the mule retracted its steps by keeping it back to the sun. Mules are not noted for being cooperative beasts, but this electricity simulated mule traced and retraced its path without deviation, just as long as the stimulation continued. Scandia's mule film created a great deal of enthusiasm at the Pentagon. Quickly, the officers saw the military significance of the experiment mules could be made to clear minefields. They could be used to deliver explosives to assigned targets, much as the Russians had used trained dogs to carry explosives against German tanks during World War II, and what mules could accomplish on land, porpoises with much greater intelligence could accomplish in the sea. It soon became clear to the cryptocracy that electronic brain stimulation held the greatest promise for specific selective mind control. The uselessness of drugs in manipulating human behavior had been limited by the inability of researchers to control either the desired or the undesired effects of the drugs with any precision. ESB, however, used in conjunction with psychosurgery and behavior modification offered unlimited possibilities. After experiments on laboratory animals met with success, human experimentation was enthusiastically undertaken in the quest of the most reliable and absolute method of remote control of the mind. Because human behavior is influenced by many more variables, experimentation on human proved to be more complex than with animals. Experiments were constantly reaching false conclusions. Often the observed effects of stimulating certain areas of the brain turned out to be only indirectly related to the stimulation. For example, a 50-year-old female patient was stimulated in what was thought to be her pleasure center. She had been an extremely withdrawn and melancholy person whose expression always seemed impassive and poor. 
When electronic stimulation was applied at irregular intervals and different times a day, she would laugh or smile. The scientists concluded that they were stimulating a strong pleasure region in her brain and grew confident that they had found a way to cure the woman of her melancholia. They began to discuss their findings openly in her presence until one day she became angry and told them that she did not enjoy the experiments at all. She explained to the scientists that the stimulus was not giving her pleasure. It was creating a rhythmic contraction of certain pelvic muscles. She had smiled and laughed from being tickled. After many years of experimentation, it is still unknown just exactly which effects of electronic brain stimulation are psychological, which are physical, and which are psychophysical. For every experiment suggesting that a particular behavior change is due to the direct effect of electricity applied to a center of the brain, there are others which suggest that the effect is a result of some psychological response to the initial stimulus. From the Brain Research Institute at the University of California came a report by Mary Brazier that one patient continued to self-stimulate even after electricity was turned off and there was no more current in the electrode. Others gave similar reports saying that some subjects continued to press a lever which had rewarded them with pleasurable stimulation long after the current was cut off. These subjects pushed the lever hundreds of times when they were receiving no stimulation at all and kept on doing it until the experiment was terminated. Several experimenters reported that ESB elicited sexual feelings and in some cases orgasms. In a report summarizing seven years of research with ESB, Dr. R.G. Heath told one of the mechanical patients who had attempted suicide a number of times, when all else failed to elevate his mood, doctors resorted to ESB. An electrode implanted in his hypothalamus was activated and the subject smiled. After the experience, he said, I feel good. I don't know why. I just suddenly felt good. Upon further questioning, the patients admitted that there might have been sexual overtones in his experience. He said, it's like I had something lined up for Saturday night, a girl. Heath reported that in several instances, ESB led to orgasm. While orgasms may have been caused by genital sensations created when certain areas of the brain were stimulated, Heath said he did not believe that genital sensations had to be present for orgasms to occur. He observed that self-stimulation usually stopped after orgasm was reached. He concluded that stimulation of the orgasm center of the brain, if that was to, had been produced, the orgasms appeared to be no more compelling than masturbation. From the Soviet Union came a report typical of many surprising results of ESB. A 37-year-old woman suffering from Parkinson's disease was given ESB treatments to alleviate the effects of palsy. The stimulation evoked sexual sensations which eventually led to orgasms. The woman then began to hang around the laboratory. She would initiate conversations with aides and assistants whenever she could. She even waited for them in the hospital corridors at the garden trying to find out when the next session was scheduled. She was especially affectionate toward the doctor who was throwing the switch to activate the probes in her brain. When she finally told her there would be no more stimulation, she displayed extreme dissatisfaction. Strangely, the stimulation did not give the woman any sexual pleasure until her menstrual cycle, which had been absent for eight years. It resumed as a result of the stimulation. Soviet investigators expressed their belief based on studies such as this, which the motivational consequences of ESB are subject to conscious control. 
This conclusion is supported by the results of many experiments in the West as well. In 1964, Richard Helms reported to the Warren Commission that the trend in the Soviet Union was to build the new communist man through cybernetics, the use of machines as control mechanisms. Helms quoted an unidentified Soviet author saying, cybernetics can be used as a molding of a child's character, the inculcation of knowledge and techniques, the massing of experience, the establishment of social behavior patterns, all functions which can be summarized as control of the growth process of the individual. The Helms memo indicated that the Soviets did not possess any knowledge which the West did not have, and in some areas even lagged far behind U.S. research. The tone of his memo seemed to suggest that the U.S. cryptocracy was also interested in creating a new man, a cyborg. ESB has meanwhile been strikingly successful in other areas. It has been used to modify mental mechanisms to produce changes in mood and feelings to reinforce behavior both positively and negatively. It has been used to activate sensory and motor regions of the brain in order to produce elementary or complex experiences or movements to summon memories and to induce hallucinations. It also has been used to suppress or inhibit behavior and experience and memory outside of the conscious control of the owner of the brain. ESB has inhibited the intake of food, it has inhibited the aggressiveness and even the material instinct. It has been widely used in medical research to help stroke victims recover from paralysis and debauch epileptic convulsions. It has proved to be an aid to paraplegics in controlling their bladders and it has helped certain kinds of paralysis victims to walk again. It has even been found to be effective in blocking even the most severe pain. ESB has been used by psychiatrists to improve mood, increase alertness, and produce orgasms. It has been used as a conditioning tool to cure undesirable social behavior. And in 1974, the first victim of Parkinson's disease treated by ESB walked gracefully out of a San Francisco hospital under his own power thanks to portable ESB. He had a stim receiver implanted in his brain which he could activate from the battery-powered device in his belt. The stim receiver, which weighed only a few grams and was still enough to implant under his scalp, permitted both remote stimulation of his brain and the instantaneous telemetric recording of his brain waves. Ten years before Dr. Delgado had foreseen the day when a psycho-civilized society would resort to the use of such stimos receivers for control of the masses, he had said, quote, two-way radio communication system could be established between the brain of a subject and a computer. Certain types of neural activity related to behavioral disturbances such as anxiety, depression, or rage could be recognized in order to trigger stimulation of specific inhibitory structures. What he was describing was a society kept under emotional control by electronic brain manipulation. Rather than have man control a machine with his brain, Delgado wanted to control a man by machine. The present state of Western technology enables man to open garage doors, fly model airplanes, and change television channels by remote control. The government communicates via telemetry with satellites far out in the solar system. Medical scientists monitor heartbeats and vital functions of patients in hospitals and astronauts on the moon. And by the late 1960s, the remote control of the human brain, accomplished without the implantation of electrode, was well on its way to being realized.
From the testimony of a number of people we've interviewed, it would be appear that the technique had been perfected. Prevalent are reports of hearing voices, even holding two-way conversations and being eavesdropped on by another person of the unknown. Another day, this would have been diagnosed by psychiatrists as schizophrenia. Today, scientists are not so quick at making their diagnosis. In a day when all symptoms of acute mental illness can be induced by remote control, the doctors are beginning to take another look. A research and development team at the Space and Biology Laboratory at the University of California at Los Angeles Brain Research Institute found a way to stimulate the brain by creating an electrical field completely outside the head. Dr. W. Ross Adi stimulated the brain with electronic pulse levels which were far below those thought to be effectual in the old implanting technique. In one experiment, Dr. Aday analyzed the brain waves of chimpanzees that were performing tasks that involved learning. He established that there was a two-way distinct brainwave pattern which accomplished correct and incorrect decisions. Building on this, Dr. Aday attempted to control the rate at which the chimps learned by applying force fields to the outside of the head to alter behavior, moods, and attention. Dr. Aday's research indicated his subjects were able to remember new information faster and better with stimulation. In the vanguard of brain technology, Dr. Aday worried about misuse of ESB when applied to humans. My personal concern, he said, is that we do it well, that if we decide to the manipulation is feasible, we do it in ways which are socially acceptable. Eight years before Dorothy Burdick published her book on February 5, 1974, an article in the San Francisco Chronicle reported that a small computer had been invented that sorts electrical signals picked up from the human brain and sorts them out. Headlines, Brain Waves May Tell What's on Your Mind, the story by Charles Petit read. A study is underway at the Langley Porter Neuropsychiatric Institute here to learn if brain waves can reveal a person's natural aptitudes and intelligence, and possibly a person's thoughts. Crucial to the study is the use of a small computer that sorts electrical signals picked up by eight electrodes fastened like a crown around the scalp. With the computer, researchers can discover where in the brain various types of high-frequency, low-energy brain waves originate. Scientists think that brain waves, instead of being non-functional side effects of cerebral electricity activity, may actually be carrying messages from one place of the brain to another. Dr. Enoch Calloway, a psychiatrist, is directing the research with a grant from the Office of Naval Research. The Navy's interest, he said, is mainly to see if computer analysis of brain waves could be useful in determining the aptitudes of new recruits. During an interview, the 50-year-old Calloway said it was 100 years ago that a German psychiatrist named Hans Berger first discovered brain waves. Berger hoped the rhythmic energies of the mind would reveal the secrets of extrasensory perception. However, the use of the brains had been largely restricted to electrophagnacid that detect irregularities in the brain, which is a means of diagnosing organic brain disease. Considerable all tension has been paid lately to the conscious control of low-frequency brain waves, the most obvious example being alpha-wave biofeedback techniques. However, Calloway's interest lies deeper in the brain where fleeting high-frequency waves of electrical potential flicker in curtains across the brain, often bypassing the neural pathways usually thought to transmit the mind's internal messages. 
Callaway in using computer techniques developed by a particular partner in research, Peter Harris, a senior computer programmer. Other things volunteers are asked to do are stare at flashing lights or lights that change color, read a book, or stare at a picture at a wall. Their brains are being monitored, said Harris. By running tests repeatedly, the computer can pick out which electrical signal always accompanies a specific stimulus. So far, Callaway and others in the field can distinguish between a person looking at a green light and one looking at a red light. They have also found that quickness of response is in some unexplained way related to IQ as measured with standard intelligence tests. In addition, he has found that concrete analytical thinking is accompanied by increased electrical activity in the left hemisphere of the brain, while intuitive and abstract thought brings the right hemisphere into dominance. What it adds up to, said Callaway, is the possibility of charting areas of dominance in individual brains and correlating them with mental skills displayed by those individuals. Further in the future is the possibility of monitoring the actual messages, if they exist, being transmitted across the brain. It may then be possible to use electronics to tell what a person is thinking, he said. Callaway admitted that the Orwellian possibilities are undeniable. Among the misuses possible, although far in the future, would be government thought control. The Los Angeles Times carried a story on March 20, 1976, headlined, Sci-Fi Comes True, Mind-Reading Machines Tell Secret of the Brain, by Lind Norman Kempster, Dateline, Washington. The story was of a government mind-reading machine which could show, among other things, whether a person is fatigued, puzzled, or daydreaming. If the project lives up to its promise, the machines could be in use in airplane cockpits before the end of the decade to warn a pilot that his mind is wandering and is failing to perform essential duties, Kempster wrote. Since 1973, a little-known Pentagon agency has been studying ways to plug a computer into an individual's brain waves or electrogrammetic EAG signals in the researcher's science lexicon. The Advanced Research Projects Agency says the $1 million a year program that has passed its initial laboratory tests and ready for determination for military uses. The story revealed that scientists at UCLA, Stanford, MIT, and the University of Illinois and the University of Rochester and laboratories at other facilities had been able to determine an individual's alertness from their brain waves. They could also tell how the perceived colors and shapes, but there may come a day when the EEG will be used to perform far more bizarre tasks, Kempster wrote. At UCLA, Kempster wrote, scientists are working on the use of the EEG to control machines. To give it a trivial application, a spiritualist could use thought waves to make a table levitate. In 1975, a primitive mind-reading machine was tested at the Stanford Research Institute. The machine is a computer which can recognize a limited amount of words by monitoring a person's silent thoughts. This technique relies upon the discovery that brain waves tracings taken with an electrograph EEG show distinctive patterns that correlate with individual words, whether the words are spoken aloud or merely subvocalized. The computer initially used audio equipment to listen to the words the subject spoke. At first, the vocabulary was limited to up, down, left, and right. At the same time the computer heard the words, it monitored the EEG impulses coming from electrodes pasted to the subject's head and responded by turning the camera in the direction indicated. 
After a few repetitions of the procedure, the computer's hearing was turned off and it responded solely to the EEG thoughts. It moved a television camera in the directions ordered by the subject's thoughts alone. This mind-reading machine was the creation of psychologist Lawrence Pinio and the computer expert Daniel Wolf and David Hall. Their stated goal was eventually to put a highly skilled computer programmer into direct communication with the computer. Their research indicated that a non-symbolic language, brainwave patterns, did exist. By teaching computers this language, the time-consuming practice of speaking or writing computer instructions could be abandoned. Faster programming result in information explosion whose effects could cause a transformation of our civilization unlike anything that has happened since the Industrial Revolution. Many beneficial effects of the Stanford mind-reading machine may eventually accrue. Physically handicapped people may be able to use many computers to interpret signals from their environment and compensate for the loss of some bodily functions. The deaf may be able to hear the blind to see, the paralyzed to walk. Military applications of a mind-reading machine will someday allow faster computer input and output of information, remote control of war machines, and even the creations of animal and human robots to do the bidding of the military. Norbert Weiner, the father of cybernetics, once said the human brain, while functioning in a manner parallel to the computer, actually imitates only one run of it. Rudolf Fleisch clarified Wiener's statement, adding that it was the computer which has the advantage since it had the ability to store memory away until needed for the consideration of a new problem. He said that while the machine starts each new problem from scratch, man carries his past with him until he dies. One young scientist at Rockefeller University, Dr. Adam Reed, worked under a Department of Defense contract to change all that. At a 1976 symposium of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Dr. Adam Reed said, Ideally, the computer of the future should be an electronic extension of the natural brain functioning in parallel with some of the existing brain structures and using the same program and data languages. According to Dr. Reed, within two decades, by 1996, it will be possible to encode and transmit brain waves from a small device implanted inside the skull. It will be linked by radio control to a large computer with a huge memory bank, which, he said, will have stored in it everything you might want to know about foreign languages, mathematics, music, history, and any other subject you would want to add. You'll enjoy instant recall. The information stored in your own memory cells and in your computer will be readily accessible. You won't be able to forget things. You'll also be able to calculate even the most complicated problems with split-second speed. But Dr. Reed admitted there were very real dangers to mental freedom posed by this technology. In computers, for their own purposes rather than for purposes imposed on them by the political structure, this is just the beginning. While Dr. Reed conceded it was conceivable that thought could be injected into a person's mind by the government, he indicated he did not believe it had already had been done. If the political system changes and massive abuses appear likely, he said, that would be the time to disappear from the society. Dr. Lawrence Pinio at the Stanford Research Institute also discouraged the idea of a conspiracy to create a psycho-civilized mind-controlled society. 
When asked if there weren't a real and present danger of the government controlling the thoughts of citizens posed by brain-computer technology, Pinio said as San Francisco reporter, anything is possible, but government couldn't lock us all up one day. So this sort of thing doesn't really change that possibility. It's really up to us to be vigilant against misuse. Typically, the scientists have not been vigilant through the cryptocracies already has developed remote-controlled men who can be used for political assassination and other dangerous work, as in the cyborg in The Six Million Dollar Man, but for less noble purposes. Cyborgs, altered and controlled humans, are far less expensive than fully mechanical robots. Due to the high cost of technology, men are cheaper than machines and much more expendable. Among the many reports we've received about the invasive technology, the following is worth repeating since many of the EM targets victims think it's authentic and say that it fits the phenomena they're suffering. It appeared on August 15, 1993 on this alternate mind control news group on the internet. The author was Patrick A. Wharton, who it could not locate. The email report would appear to be autobiographical. Subject, mind control and mental telepathy. August 1st, 1993. In 1969, Mr. Warden scored in the 98th percentile in a standard high school intelligence test. He was a National Merit finalist and graduated from the University of California, Berkeley with honors. His background is in the liberal arts with an introduction to the physical sciences. He again scored in the 98th percentile in the verbal and mathematics sections of the graduate record exam in 1977. For what is is worth about to relate, Mr. Warden was hospitalized twice on psychiatric wards for paranoid schizophrenia, first for 10 days and then for two weeks, culminating in forced confinement to a stale mental institution for eight months in 1986. Today he works as a public relations writer for a nonprofit organization providing disability services in Los Angeles. Circa 1980, he was the subject of a recruitment attempt and an experiment involving mental telepathy conducted by the Central Intelligence Agency. Shortly thereafter, he was contacted by means of mental telepathy operated by the government of the United States and other major world powers, in particular that of the former Soviet Union. The purpose of the contact was, first, to inform him of the true nature of the disobedient voices he had been hearing in his mind that had been medical professionals had been described as schizophrenia and second to recruit him as a public relations officer for the CIA and the mental telepathy systems. The MTS is operational on the public and involves what might commonly known as mind control. It is a system of technology that operates apparently by radio and microwaves and that can broadcast voices and sensations and affect the atomic nervous system across distances. It is a hard wired base system that involves transmitters, antennas, and amplifying devices. Though in its most primitive form, the MTS mimics psychic phenomena. It involves man-made technology as distance from whatever natural psychic phenomena may have occurred through time. Without their knowledge, many people are under the influence of MTS, which due sometimes to foreign control can manifest itself in the bizarre and disturbing psychopathic outbreaks that appear from time to time in the news media. The voices that the son of Sam serial killer thought he heard from the dog in the backyard of the neighboring apartment building in the mid to late 1970s probably resulted from the MTS. The 
foreign student at UC Berkeley who took hostages at the street cafe around 1991, claiming he was under the influence of government mind control experiments, also probably was affected by MTS. Events such as David Koresh's control of the Branch Davidian cult in Waco, Texas during 1993 can also be fully accounted by and probably were the result of his being unwittingly influenced by worst aspects of MTS. Background The MTS goes back as far as the time of the Kennedy administration and the outbreak of the Beatlemania shortly after the president's assassination. Its actual origins are unclear, but may have something to do with the Nazi war experiments. In the early 1960s, the Soviet Union had an advantage with this technology and deployed it in Western nations in the form of mood-altering broadcasts, waves that put people under its sway. Known for a few years later as the biofeedback transponding control system, the Soviet mind control technology was installed in places such as Berkeley, California, where it was used for subversive purposes to foremost mass demonstrations and also for international exchange and quasi-diplomatic efforts to promote understanding and sympathy for the Soviets among American people. Mental telepathy technology was the joint and evolving development of the intelligence forces of the United States, the CIA, and the Soviet KGB. Reflecting the international tensions between the two countries, it grew in a manner similar to the competition of the space race, with civilian and military implications. The Soviets, who had the upper hand on the mental telepathy technology, used it in the U.S. for espionage and subversion, trying to gain access to the minds of scientists involved in government weapons research and to foment civil unrest and pro-socialist sympathy among younger generations of Americans. Faced with the missile gap of the late 1970s, the advances by the Soviets with their particular beam accelerator and similar national defense issues, the Reagan administration came to power and began a concerted push known as COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program. Through COINTELPRO, the defense buildup and the beginning of the space shuttle program which was able to quickly to put into orbit more of the intelligence communication satellites that operate the MTS at its upper levels. The U.S. was able to gain the upper hand in the MTS. Truth as we know it in the U.S. won out over the disinformation propaganda by the Soviet mental telepathy system, known informally as vodka. Since the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the mental telepathy wars conducted between telepaths or mental telepathy operatives of the CIA and the KGB have come to an end, although why psychopathological outbreaks continue among the populations remain unclear. The American MTS, which was influenced and prejudicially operated by the KGB and particularly during the 1970s, politically fell under the observation and verification clauses of the SALT I and II treaties. When it became clear that the Soviets were gaining too much influence over the American public, SALT II drew increasing discontent among government leaders and it was scuttled. Under the provisions of SALT, the Soviets were permitted to operate mental telepathy and diplomatic colony zones such as Berkeley, also known as Pacifica. The U.S. essentially was blackmailed into accepting the Soviet proposal of mental telepathy operations in this country due to the relative superiority in research and development in the field of artificial mental telepathy. 
COINTELPRO recruited a sufficient number of Americans, however, to develop the American MTS and the intelligence satellites that play a primary role in propagating it across side areas to the point where it effectively could combat the Soviet vodka telepathy. Present control of the MTS is improving with better mental and psychological conditions for the telepaths who are affected by it. Because the KBGB is no longer intact to propagate its particular brand of psychological mischief and violence, but because the MTS still remains under wraps, the heirs of the Soviets, apparently the Russian and affiliated republics, probably still continue to foment the violence that periodically erupts in the form of serial killers with bizarre and demented notions, and other forms of psychopathology in the news media. The provisions of the Detente Era Treaty governing the MTS and vodka hold that Russian telepathy will continue in the U.S. until the MTS is operated in plain jure or in broad daylight without government camouflage and denial in the U.S. or elsewhere in the world of that matter. In other words, the Russians will continue to operate vodka in the U.S., though at a more hospitable level until the government or someone blows the cover on mental telepathy and this new technology becomes public knowledge.